Hello, and welcome to the Pacific Center podcast. My name is Dr. Greg Lane, and I will be your host as we explore many interesting topics with amazing people from a variety of professional backgrounds over the months and years ahead. The focus of this podcast will be the intersection of the traditional healthcare practices of various cultures and the modern scientific research on peak physical and cognitive performance. The show will be delivered in an interview format. Our guest today is Robert Nations. Robert Nations received both his MSTOM and DACM degrees from Pacific College of Oriental Medicine in San Diego and has been a faculty member since 1997. It is there where he taught Qigong and Tui Na for over 15 years in Pacific's MSTOM program and currently teaches Chinese medical theory and herbal medicine. Dr. Nations received his Diplomat of Canonical Chinese Medicine for his postgraduate studies with the Institute of Classical East Asian Medicine, specializing in classical herbal formulations. Robert also spent over 14 years at the Taoist Sanctuary of San Diego, studying and teaching Taoist philosophy and meditation practices, earning the title of Tao Shi, while concurrently studying the Alexander Technique. He began his vocational education in 1983, studying for five years with a healer whom was trained by a Sioux medicine man and required that Robert learn Tai Chi Chuan. Since then, his education has taken him to Europe, Africa, and China. Dr. Nations and his wife maintain their private practice, Nations Acupuncture, in Mission Valley. He is also an adjunct faculty member for San Diego Community College District's Continuing Education Program, teaching Tai Chi Chuan and Qigong to older adults. In the past eight years, Robert has worked with the California Department of Public Health, Aging and Independent Services of San Diego County, UCSD Center for Integrative Medicine, and Sharp Hospital, promoting and providing various services relating to Chinese health practices in medicine. A brief disclaimer, while we will be discussing some medical issues and treatments today, we will in no way be providing medical advice. As always, for any health-related issues and conditions, you should seek appropriate medical care and advice from a health care professional. Robert, it's great to have you today. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here, Greg. Thanks for joining. So let's, uh, let's dive in. I've been reviewing some of the latest research on, uh, on Qigong and Tai Chi, and there's a lot out there. Um, but before we get into all that, you know, uh, research stuff, we're primarily we're interested in, in um, you know, Qigong and Tai Chi to enhance physical and cognitive performance. And I know that, you know, this is a, a great interest of yours and a shared interest of mine. So I really look forward to this conversation. So uh, let me ask you, uh, you know, some of the members of our audience might need a little primer. So Give us a little bit of background on the historical roots of, of Tai Chi and, and Qigong. Well, uh, first of all, Greg, I wanted to just talk a little bit about the concept of Qi. For yeah. those of you that are not familiar with it, uh, the, the term Qi is translated as either air or breath, uh, vital energy. It's the, considered like the energy that underlies everything in the universe. And uh, the term Gong for Qigong is putting in effort or time or work into something to develop a skill at it. So together you have these practices that uh, ask your mind and body to join together 
and developed this, this sensitivity and awareness toward this idea of qi. And then we also have Taiji Chuan, which is initially a martial art. And Taiji basically represents or is translated as grand ultimate. Also, we have the term Ji, the character Ji, which is also characterized as a pole that goes from heaven to earth. And human beings are within that pole between heaven and earth. And then the, the Chuan part is basically means boxing or martial art. So the terms that we'll be discussing today revolve around Qigong and Taiji Chuan as practices. Um, let me first start off with this uh, quote from Dr. Yonke and Larky. They did uh, extensive research in, in the realm of Tai Chi and Qigong. And they say to cultivate or enhance the inherent functional energetic essence of the human being. So this idea of cultivation is very important as well with these practices, something that one commits to and takes time and effort. And, and as a result, something grows from it. We don't always know what's going to grow from it, but it, it is like planting a garden. It's mm, a beautiful analogy. Um, so when you say it takes time, would, you know, for our listeners who maybe haven't practiced this or maybe this is the first time they've heard this, would they, do you think they would get benefit from just doing it once? Um, usually with an individual, the, the practices themselves lend themselves to some sense of a feeling of change or relaxation or peace. So one time may give you a sense of it, mm -hmm. but it's, it actually is something that over time you, you go deeper and deeper into it. Mm -hmm. So you, the, uh, the benefits can exponentially grow mm -hmm. as you commit more time to it. I'm not saying that you have to make it a full-time job, mm -hmm. but it's one of those things like eating or sleeping where we need to sleep and mm -hmm. we need to eat. And if we don't eat well, then the quality of our life starts to become poor, as with poor sleep. Mm -hmm. And so with Qigong or Tai Chi, if you do them regularly just a little bit at a time, you can start to acquire benefits from them mm -hmm. pretty quickly. Okay. And... Um so where, where did Qigong begin? So uh, Qigong has a very long history, uh, a written history, first of all, that goes back thousands of years. But even before that, I, I had recently read a book uh, by a PhD, and his name was Lundwald, mm -hmm. um, John Knight Lundwald, and he talked a lot about the oral mindset See, we, as, as literate people, we have a way of viewing the world mm -hmm. through literacy, mm -hmm. through words. Oral people didn't have that because, because there was not a written alphabet. So a lot of their relationship with the world was through direct experience. Mm -hmm. And these, these literate writings that have been passed down had to come from somewhere mm -hmm. before human beings wrote with an alphabet. And so I, I want to just read a, a quote from uh, Dr. Lundwall. Okay. Oral thought is permanently wed to the immediate phenomena of nature, and the material world of above and below is the primary reference book of oral thinkers. Mm -hmm. When a lot of us who are in the Chinese medicine field look at classical text, some of it seems 
uh, strangely abstract to us. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a very strong sense of these important symbols that a lot of times it takes a while to understand. Mm-hmm. And so it is my belief that these are the symbols that have been passed down from generation to generation through oral transmission and eventually through literature mm-hmm. that we can tap into as individuals to connect us with our ancestors through movement, mm-hmm. through sound, through images, through thoughts. Mm-hmm. And so I find this really exciting that, I, that when I practice things like Tai Chi or Qigong, I feel that I am connected with something so much greater than myself, mm-hmm. which helps with my feelings of isolation or feeling small in a gigantic universe. Mm. So um, a lot of the, the material written about Qigong and Tai Chi in particular Qigong, comes from very old sources. Mm-hmm. One of the earliest sources would be the, the Yellow Emperor's Classic of Internal Medicine, mm-hmm. which is basically the book that all of us who study Chinese medicine owe a lot of our mm-hmm. knowledge to. Huang Di Neijing. The Huang Di Neijing. So let me read you a quote from the Huang Di Neijing that kind of gives you an idea of how important they felt the... Um, that practices like Qigong were. There's a a dialogue between the Yellow Emperor and his chief physician, Qi Bo. So the Yellow Emperor asked the Heavenly Teacher, I have heard that people of ancient times lived as long as 120 years with no signs of weakening in their movements at that age. But people nowadays become weakened in their movements at less than 60 years old. Is this due to change in the natural environment or due to man's fault? Chi Bo replies, the ancient people knew the proper way to live. They followed the pattern of yin and yang, which is the regular pattern of heaven and earth. They managed to apply the numeric symbols, which are the great principles of human life. The ancient people ate and drank with moderation on a regular basis. They lived their lives according to a regular pattern. They worked hard but avoided excessive fatigue. For this reason, their spirits and bodies remained in perfect harmony with each other. Consequently, they were able to live out their natural lifespan and died at the age of over 120 years. So if we look at just a few lines here, and it says, um, they managed to apply the numeric symbols which are the great principles of human life. So basically this translates as methods of rejuvenation mm-hmm. and, and based on the seasonal qualities where every season has a particular quality to it and human beings respond to it. Mm-hmm. And so these are also related to Qigong practices. Mm-hmm. So this, this particular book was compiled over, yeah, yeah. over a couple thousand years ago. Yeah. And so even then when they say, um, people nowadays become weakened in their movements at less than 60 years old. That was 2,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, it's inspiring to know that still applicable it's still today. applicable today. Yeah. Um, that I found very important as far as realing, realizing how much um, these practices can help with just the process of living. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get too far afield or too too deep into the esoteric um, uh, uh, implications there, but the numeric 
suggestion kind of takes us into the area of the I Ching and, and delving into divinity and divination, right? Yes, yes. And the, I'll, I'll the, kind of leave it there with yeah. that because we, we could do a whole podcast yeah, on that Yeah, that that's one. a whole thing on its own. For sure. It sounds like, you know, we have this concept of uh, yang shen or nourishing life, right? And, and that's what we're alluding to yes. here, the, these practices uh, like qigong and the, the diet, the right diet, right livelihood, right activity, and this whole idea of uh, being in tune with nature and, and that we are actually part, like you so beautifully and poetically said, you feel in your own personal experiences that this connects you to age-old universal principles. And I know from experience as a practitioner myself, I do, I do feel that. And so maybe how, do, how does this work? How, how do we... How do we do what we do when we're doing this? What is happening? So um, in regards to just the practical, practical things that we experience when doing any type of qigong or meditation or, or taiji chuan is many of the practices are repetitive. Mm -hmm. They take simple movements, especially in qigong, mm -hmm. and repeat them over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And this, this repetition of movement helps quiet the mind. Mm -hmm. It helps focus the mind where you become very aware of just the simplicity of our body and how it functions. Mm -hmm. Also, there's an important aspect of alignment. Mm -hmm. Having the correct alignment in relation to gravity takes a lot of stress off the body. Mm -hmm. And if you've ever noticed the way people move and stand in an industrial society, it's different than if you go to, I, when I was in West Africa, I noticed many of the people, oh, yeah. when they stand, very they're upright. very upright. Yeah, even right now, I'm adjusting my posture. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> very upright. Yeah. And, and, so we re and through other practices like yoga mm -hmm. and dance, this alignment becomes critical for good functioning. Absolutely. So, so alignment becomes very important. Breathing, uh, the essence of our being, is something that uh, needs to be brought into awareness. So mm -hmm. we have unconscious breathing that we do, but in these practices, many of these styles of practice, uh, breathing is very much a part of the rhythm of life mm -hmm. and the rhythm of movement. Mm -hmm. And so as you do certain movements, the breathing pattern will coordinate with the movement themselves. This is uh, from something called Dao Yin, mm -hmm. which is one of the styles of Qigong, mm -hmm. which has been passed down for many, many years, this, this rhythmic movement that coordinates with the breathing. Also, um, where is your mind? Where does your mind go when you practice? Does it drift off into thinking about what, they, what you could have for lunch or you know, what you forgot to do when you left your keys on the countertop? Various types of things that kind of keep us in a slight state of anxiety and worry. Mm -hmm. These Qigong practices or Tai Chi practices focus and bring us into the present moment mm -hmm. so we let go of that anxiety because mm -hmm. now we're just involved with that one task mm -hmm. that's repeating itself over and over again so interesting that this you know this is like an elixir for for us and for our, you know we're both acupuncturists so we both see the same types of patients right yes this is something that i know you prescribe to your patients you teach and you know I don't know if you're aware of this, but you, you know that the number one reason that people come for acupuncture is pain, right? Back pain particularly. Yes. The number two reason, in America anyway, is anxiety. And so what you just said is like, it's beautiful that 
that this elixir is available right there for people all the time. Yes, um, and that's also um, the downfall mm -hmm. is it's so accessible that it's easy to take for granted mm -hmm. and easy to put off. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the challenges with these kinds of practices is making sure that you do it regularly and uh, consistently mm -hmm. uh, to get the greatest benefit from them. So not just once. No, not just once. <laughs> once is not enough. Definitely once a, with once a day at least, right? <laughs> yes, and and sometimes even um, picking. Uh, as I go back to my garden analogy, in order to create a garden, you need first of all a location yeah. to have a garden. So you want to have a suitable location where you won't be disturbed, mm -hmm. uh, where you can commit a certain amount of time, mm -hmm. 15 minutes minimum, you know, hopefully 30 minutes, uh, and then go into it. Allow yourself to indulge into the moment mm -hmm. with the rhythm uh, and the movements and the sense of peace and relaxation. Mm -hmm. It can do wonders for you either at the beginning of the day, in the middle of the day, or at the end of the Pretty day. Pretty much whenever. Yeah. I remember when I was studying here as a student, um, Ted, our you know, illustrious colleague, mm -hmm. Ted Kardash, Taoist priest, and, you know, um, on and on, incredible teacher and Tai Chi teacher. He, he would, actually, he would say, if you just did Qigong for five minutes before an exam, you're going to get, you're going to have a much better result. And he would say, just do the opening posture of, of you know, just lift hands, you know, just the opening posture of uh, Tai Chi, just up and down with the hands. And I did that religiously before tests, and it did have a remarkable impact Yes, uh, for me. Oh, what brings to mind this motion that Greg is talking about is a simple up and down motion. With the arms. With the movement of the arms yeah. and in a relaxed manner. And what that allows the person to become is back in tune with the normal alternating rhythms of the universe, mm -hmm. which helps human beings just feel at ease and at peace again mm -hmm. in, in a chaotic world. It's interesting. I was working in a workshop with uh, Dr. Yanka, Roger, mm -hmm. and he was uh, teaching this one particular exercise that did that particular movement, the rising of the, raising of the arms and lowering of the arms while rising the toes and coming back onto the heels in this rocking fashion. Mm -hmm. And he was actually describing how that was beneficial for the lymph, the lymphatic system, sort of this lymphatic pumping, cleansing uh, uh, process. I thought was pretty interesting. Yes, yes. So um, how, do you, how do you describe chi to, to your patients or to, to people, you know, what, for our audience that are listening here that, that don't really know? You know, you said chi is in everything, but what would chi, maybe it's energy, how, did, how would you um, describe chi in, in terms that are relatable to people? Can we feel it? Can we see it? Right. Yeah, and being a, a foreign term, it it's, can be very challenging for Westerners to kind of conceptualize it or wrap their minds around it. Um, I look at sometimes some of the the ways the Chinese describe parts of the body with, um, like in acupuncture, we have acupuncture points. And one of the points is at the lower portion of the, um, just below the navel. It's called chi hai, mm -hmm. which just means sea of chi. Mm -hmm. 
And then, so I thought about it and I looked and I realized that when I'm lying on my back and I watch somebody breathing, mm-hmm. I see the belly rise and the belly fall. Naturally, right? Naturally. I see the chest rise and the chest fall. And it's like watching the water, mm. how it kind of ebbs and flows. And so chi is something that you sense an ebb and flow with. It mm. comes and it goes. It, mm. it pulses. It can be something that you see as a result of movement. Mm. Like I, I was describing earlier with the rising of the belly and the falling of the belly. If you are somebody who is looking at the world as direct experience and you th- see somebody's belly rising, you think, well, the belly is filling with something, but I can't see it. So it must be chi because chi is something that we don't see directly, but we see the results of its activity. Mm. And so when I talk to patients about it, it can be something like a, a feeling or a sensation that changes because chi is something that changes. Mm-hmm. So it's not something that you necessarily can point to directly, but you see how it can influence changes in things. Like I can feel happy and I can then feel sad if I get bad news. Mm-hmm. That is when chi changes. Mm. And so these any kind of changes when you're lying on your back and I insert a needle in you, you can feel a sensation and then the sensation changes to a different sensation or goes another place. That is chi. Mm-hmm. So it's it's something that we experience on a daily basis in normal ways, mm. but we don't normally name it. Mm-hmm. So that's where I feel um, chi as a useful metaphor or a character for what we talk about as things move and change shape and color and temperature and mm. all those things. So it's insubstantial and we know it by its actions right. and its changes. Yes. Um, you know, you bring, a, you bring an interesting point up by observing your patients laying on the table and the natural uh, rising and falling of the belly. And then it, it's interesting to me that at least in the West, my observations are that we are chest breathers primarily and how important it is to sink the breath down by that area that you're talking about below the navel or the dantian um, in your experience teaching uh, qigong or tai chi do you find this difficult a difficult practice for westerners to adopt it is difficult um because we tend to be chest breathers like you said greg um, Chest breathing is a result of us being vigilant, being aware of our environments in a a way that I believe came from just socialization. Mm -hmm. We we just imitate what our adults do and and a lot of adults breathe that way. It also kind of builds up a certain kind of impetus. Mm -hmm. So when we breathe with our lower bellies, I, I ask a lot of the people in my classes to observe their, if they have children, or infants mm-hmm. to observe them and mm-hmm. notice how they breathe. Or when they are on their backs, the adults, and they're relaxed mm-hmm. and they place their hand on their belly, can they feel the movement of their abdomen? Mm-hmm. Many times those are ways that an average adult can check in to actually see what it means to belly breathe. Because yeah. we all did it at one time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the key is not to force it, mm-hmm. just to have the awareness and to you want to invite the movement 
back into the lower abdomen again. So we get full use of our breathing mechanism, which is controlled a lot by the diaphragm. Mm-hmm. I love that what you just said, that we shouldn't be forcing, because so much of our, uh, I feel like so much of our uh, lives and our existence is forced, right? Forced, un- unnatural behaviors in, in a way. And, um, you know, this whole concept of this chest breathing that, you know, I mentioned, you know, my observations is that it's fe- you know, fear-based and, and also image-based. A lot of these, you know, exercise regimens pump up the upper body mm-hmm. and neglect the lower body. And, you know, in, in the Qigong and Tai Chi traditions, we're very grounded, very rooted, and more of the emphasis is placed on, you know, downward. You know, the, well, this stretch, right, yes. between heaven and earth. Yes. But this connection to the earth, I think, is is missed. Do you notice that as well? Yeah, I agree. Um, one thing that I found very useful was if uh, we view the navel as the horizon line between heaven and earth. Mm where from the navel up represents the heavens, Mm -hmm. from the navel down represents the earth. And many of us, as adults, we strive for the heavens. That's like a a positive attribute. Mm. And you can even see in our space program how we just would love to leave our planet and go live someplace else. But whether that's even possible or not, remains to be seen. Well, they're working on it. Yeah, they're, uh, they're working on it. But to um, go back to our the earth again, below the navel, and allow ourselves to relax on the earth, mm-hmm. to be comfortable on the earth. I think a lot of us are not comfortable on the earth. Mm. And, um, and it's full of chaos and, and mess, mm-hmm. which is part of being on earth. Mm-hmm. But we have a way to adjust ourselves to feel more in balance with it. And I think maybe that would go a long way to help in how we treat the earth Mm -hmm. if we look at it as a part of ourselves. And others. And others, yeah, yeah, all all its inhabitants. Mm -hmm. And so when I get people to be a little more aware of their breathing Mm -hmm. below the navel, a lot of times they start to feel much calmer, Mm -hmm. uh, a sense of peace. And again, it's something that should be gently nursed, mm-hmm. not not forced or insisted upon. Because it, for most of us adults, it's not natural anymore. It's mm-hmm. become an unnatural place. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about what, what's happening physiologically um, when we're doing that. When we when we actually, as you say, when when you invite your students or your patients to relax, to breathe down in the lower belly, what, what what's happening for? So what, what it does, first of all, it, it brings our, our mental focus back to our physical body. Mm-hmm. We, as adults, or just as human beings, we have a strong urge to see outside ourselves and become very, uh, can I say, become focused. very, con- want to pursue what's outside of us. Sure. And so this, this turning inward mm. uh, can help with First of all, feeling yourself and feeling places of tension. Mm-hmm. If you can't really feel it, it's very hard to change the status of your body. Mm-hmm. So bringing sensory awareness to places that don't have any mm-hmm. or have lost it because of habituation. Mm-hmm. And then through that, uh, the breathing mechanism, again, is, is in, reinforced down below in the diaphragmatic area. Mm-hmm. This movement 
of the lower abdomen allows for better movement of fluids mm -hmm. and lymph and blood. Mm -hmm. And also it brings us into more awareness of our legs and how important our legs are to help pump blood back to the heart. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times we for forget that the legs being at the other extreme of our body helps the return of the blood mm -hmm. to be reoxygenated in the chest again. Mm -hmm. And so doing practices that get your body to relax, breathing in the lower abdomen, awareness of the lower portion of the body helps the functioning of especially the return back to the upper body mm -hmm. because it, the old has to be replenished. And the only way it can be replenished is if it returns back to the source of the chest. So it's benefiting the cardiovascular system. It's benefiting the lymphatic system. Yes. It's benefiting the respiratory system. Is it fair to say it's benefiting all systems, like all systems go? Yes, I, I would say uh, in a holistic viewpoint, it, it benefits all the systems. And like many studies have shown, a reduction of blood pressure, mm -hmm. um, also uh, reduced anxiety, mm -hmm. those types of things that tend to come from shallow breathing, mm -hmm. at least in my opinion. Also, right, the transfer of weight from one leg to the next in some of the, in some of the more advanced um, uh, uh, methods, for example, even the Tai Chi form where you're shifting the weight, they've, I'm sure you're well aware of the studies that have shown decreased falls in, yes. in elderly patients and, and, um, and benefits to uh, patients that have neurologic conditions like Parkinson's or MS or those types of things. It's beneficial for that, I've read. Yeah, this, this idea of being able to, our body functions best when we use, use it as a whole mm -hmm. instead of in fragmented parts. Mm -hmm. And so especially with the legs, when you shift your weight from one leg to the other, this, this allows the, the neuromuscular system to, in a balanced way, switch back and forth. Mm -hmm. The other thing that we do um, is walk. When we walk, mm -hmm. we are filling one leg with weight while one, the other leg becomes empty. Mm -hmm. uh, when, we, when we initiate the walking motion, there's a rocking that happens. It's almost like falling forward. So in order to walk forward, we actually have to rock a little forward and fall a little bit mm -hmm. for the leg to swing forward. Mm -hmm. So all this takes advantage of all our joints and all the, the nerves that are in our lower legs uh, with the proprioception, the ability to feel ourselves in space. Mm -hmm. All of that stays vital by doing these kinds of side-to-side -side motions, forward and back motions, up and down motions. So I can really see and know from personal experience how this benefits uh, you know, people in, um, in physical performance, you know, my background as a dancer, I, I used and, and directly felt benefits of Qigong and Tai Chi throughout my professional dance career. Um, and maybe can you speak a little bit about, we talked a little bit about, you know, the mind and the body working together. And we see this like in, in, um, contemporary exercise regimens like Pilates yes. and you know gyrotonic and some of the more what they're now calling mind body exercises. Well, this is really one of the first ones, right? Yeah, yoga, this... yoga, and then qigong or Taoist yoga. Um, yes. So can you speak um, to that a bit? Yeah, um, I think it's a very human thing to want to go to extremes, mm -hmm. to want to push the envelope. That that's kind of what makes us human. Um, but there's always consequences to that. And so this idea of 
doing things that meld our mind and our body together as one helps really refresh and restore us in ways that say maybe our jobs or our lifestyle doesn't always facilitate mm. and and bring us back to this kind of uh, central place. You know, I, I wanted to read a, a little quote from the Tao Te Ching. It's it's some it's one of the oldest Taoist literature books that's available, and it's and it's very well distributed and very easy to access. But it's one of the works that has informed a lot of these practices that we do in Tai Chi and Qigong. Um, so I want to paraphrase a, a quotation from the, the Tao Te Ching, and it says, the, the Tao gave birth to the one, the one gave birth to the two, the two gave birth to the three, and the three gave birth to the 10,000 things. And what that translates as, if we work backwards, the, the 10,000 things is basically all material manifestation, everything in the universe. And then the two, or the three, I'm sorry, is, is the union of two and the one. And the two is basically the polar reality that we live in. Man, woman, up, down, hot, cold. Yin, yang. Yin, yang. And then the one is the unification of the two. And so those, those together create our manifest universe. We tend to get stuck in the two. Mm -hmm. That's our normal realm of existence. You can see it very much so in our political landscape where, mm -hmm. where one side is against the other. And this goes back and forth and back and forth forever and ever. At our deepest core, there's a yearning to get back to the one where everything is unified and undifferentiated. And so this, this undifferentiated whole that we yearn for is very much about what these practices help engender. Mm -hmm. Our sense of duality can, can for a while be put on hold and merge with the oneness that we are with the whole universe. And that's what I find the most uh, important aspect of doing these practices is, is it does give me a break from this chaotic world that I live in mm -hmm. and have a chance to restore and feel myself pulsing with the universe. Mm -hmm. And it gives me a sense of pause and a sense of restoration. And that's where I, I think it's very helpful. And I think humans have dealt with this as long as humans have been around. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a beautiful summary. It almost sounds religious, but of course it's not. I, right. think, I think some people have described Taoism as a religion, but it's really not a religion, is it? No, Taoism early on was the philosophy. a philosophy based on human beings' view of the world, yeah. how, they, how they saw things, how mm -hmm. it interacted, how human beings and the world interact, how human beings interact with other human beings. Mm -hmm. And they're just natural principles. They, they're, um, the religious aspects of Taoism came in later uh, as it uh, kind of became... More codified. More codified, and also as Buddhism started to gain prominence also yeah. in China. And so these, but essentially it was the human and the heaven and the earth. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that relationship was very much about what Taoism 
tried to promote the unification of those. Mm-hmm. And um, sort of a nat- just a naturalist or universal yes. way of being, and not necessarily uh, beholden to. Well, you had the Tao Te Ching, and and then works by Chuang Tzu, right? Right. But more philo- philosophical and less. Uh, deity-based, I guess that's the difference. Right, right. and I, I wanted to go back just momentarily to what I spoke about earlier with um, when I was talking about oral societies. Mm-hmm. From the author, when I was reading um, Dr. Lundwald, there was no word for religion mm. in the oral s- traditions. Interesting. Yeah, it, that was something that came about through uh, literacy, and for them... The they merely reflected what they experienced in the cosmic world, mm-hmm. seeing the sun rise, the sun fall, observing the movements of the stars and the constellations. And they created myths or stories to transmit information that was important to sustain a society mm-hmm. um, where community was most important. There was no, Individualism was not like an important aspect as much as it was the society had to sustain itself and survive. Mm-hmm. And so if you create stories about how to behave in relation to how the natural world mm-hmm. is organized, mm-hmm. then you can see how that, that order brought order to the societies mm-hmm. and allowed them to proliferate. Interesting. It's through connection to the rest of society and, in fact, the entire universe. Yes. This, this, uh, this strength, if you will, or, or connection to um, everyone else made made you stronger as a as an individual or, or more in tune right 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 and, and right now it seems like everyone's so focused on just me myself what i can get you know and what i've noticed and not not necessarily connecting with everybody else and certainly not the universe i mean the way the way that we as a as a species are treating the planet it sounds like you know we could really as a as a species benefit from from these practices, right, and re- reconnect. Reconnect, yes. They 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 follow the motions of the universe, and so it helps us once again feel a resonance with the universe instead of being isolated from it. And less destructive, right? Yes. <laughs> why would we want to destroy ourselves? Yeah. Yeah. That always mystified me. Why? Why would we want to move off this planet to somewhere really far away and really cold or really hot? <laughs> you know, right. If it's less than seventy, I'm cold. <laughs> What about, um, we talked a little bit about uh, some of the health benefits and, you know, this connection to the whole, um, you know, there, there are different kinds, I guess what I'm getting at, there, there are different kinds of Qigong. So can you uh, talk a little bit about mm-hmm. the different kinds, like there's the iron shirt Qigong for martial practices, right? And there's, you know, the cultivation practices and various different kinds. Can you speak to yeah, the differences? So there are uh, different systems that have been propagated over the years. Um, some of them uh, you may hear the terminology. One is called tuna, which is basically just means breathing in and out. And so some practices may focus primarily just on breathing, mm-hmm. sitting quietly, breathing, um, taking in certain images, also feeling the sensations of your body as you breathe and where do you breathe? We mm-hmm. were talking about chest breathing as opposed mm-hmm. to lower abdominal breathing to be aware of those things. Dao Yin, I mentioned a little bit earlier, this is um, guiding and leading exercises. These are usually exercises that are focused on movement, mm-hmm. coordinated with breathing, 
uh, there's um, meditative exercises where there's just sitting, mm-hmm. sitting and emptying the mind or creating a sense of calm and, and quiet. There, there isn't much about um, Confucianistic Qigong, but uh, as far as the idea of sitting and forgetting, mm-hmm. it was a Confucian idea. And so uh, practitioners were encouraged to sit for periods of time and kind of let go of their identity, let go of their sense of time and space, mm. allow themselves to be empty. Mm. Um, there's also self-massage qigongs, which use a lot of maybe acupressure techniques on acupuncture points, mm. certain areas of the body where you can rhythmically uh, slap or rub your body, um, creating well, movement of vital forces within your body. Uh, what was the one that we were doing? Dr. Shi? Uh, Dr. Shi? Dr. Shepi Chi. Dr. Shepi Chi's yes. uh, sequence, which was lovely. My, I told you that after the symposium. That was the more of the tapping and the slapping and the waking up of the, the rhythmical yes. breathing. And that was wonderful. Yeah, so that comes from a larger body of work called uh, Yin Fu Bagua uh, system. And that has the martial art of Bagua. And it's combined with um, medical practices so or self-practices of self-healing. And so we were doing, what Greg's talking about is we were doing uh, a set where we have a padding sequence, where we do rhythmic padding on certain areas of the body to wake up those areas and wake up those pathways of the body. And then um, we followed it up with something called the eight storing and chi sensitivity exercises. And I, I learned these from Dr. Shepe Chi and Andrew Nugent Head, uh, they were very instrumental in disseminating this material to the to the population. And with that second one, what that is is to, first of all, feel how the energy or chi can be stored in the body, especially in the area of the lower abdominal region. And then we do certain movements to promote movements of chi in certain directions. So we have the um, entering and exiting, so chi comes in, chi goes out, she goes up, she goes down. Um, so helping to identify and, and sensitize herself to what it feels like when she descends and to be able to use that for our own health benefits. Mm-hmm. And then others, um, uh, I'm, I'm reflecting on some of the systems that I've come in contact with, like the, the five animal frolic, for example. Yeah. How wonderful is that? Yeah, you know where you're embodying the nature of the animal and doing movements that that uh, that sort of mimic the the animalistic traits of whatever the bear or the crane or you know. Yeah, that's that's one of my one of my personal favorites. I I enjoy dance. I've always enjoyed dance. So I never got to do it too much formally, but I, I've always enjoyed that uh, music and dance. And um, when I was in Africa, I was very much steeped in that for a while. But this, this uh, Huato's frolic of the five animals, Huato is somebody who lived around the first century of the current era, and he was, um, he was executed by the emperor at the time, and so he left no recorded material because he burned it all. He, mm. he, he had a prison guard burn it. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, and so, at least from what I've read, and... And so anything that comes from that came from his students. There's, there's, as far as I know, there's nothing that directly came from Huato. <laughs> and 
And this is very interesting because it, it takes a lot of almost shamanistic elements where parts of the practice are very repetitive, simple movements to help um, with the body's functioning. There's something called the cultivation exercises, which it's a simple movement to um, help with the, the overall movement of chi in the body through all the meridians and all the channels. And then there's the animal part. And you do the, the cultivation movements first to set your mind in almost like a trance state. Mm-hmm. And then you can easily embody the animals, and then the animals have particular characteristics. So when you do them, you're, you're working certain meridians and, and certain um, aspects of, of organs. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, a, a wonderful set of exercises. And you'll see there's many different versions of it if you look at YouTube. Mm-hmm. So in a way, it's, it's very creative how people have used it and interpreted it. And it does have a dance quality to it, which mm-hmm. makes it very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. I've always wondered about about that. You know, when whenever I've studied with a, a teacher, um, there there are very specific instructions about how the body should move, and whether it's dance or qigong or tai chi mm-hmm. or what any movement form, right? Right. The, the instructors are always very specific about you know the posture and how how things should move, but recognizing that every body's different. Can you speak to that a little bit? Like, yeah, you know, and that's a really good point. Um, usually when, when I've been trained over the years, I, I always tried to follow as closely as possible the instructions I was given, mm-hmm. as much as I could to the letter. Mm-hmm. And then there comes a point when I started realizing that my body is a little different than my teachers. Mm-hmm. My personality is a little different than my teachers. But, and then I would kind of have a little bit of an internal conflict with that for a while <laughs> yeah. until there was something that would happen. And maybe this is the result of practicing uh, the exercises is I started to create something of my own from it. Mm-hmm. It may look similar, but it wasn't exactly the same as, as my teacher. But I was getting tremendous benefits from it because the principles were instilled and transmitted orally to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where... Uh, the oral transmission becomes very important because any of these practices at some level are about two people mm-hmm. interacting, mm-hmm. a teacher and a student, and eventually the student will become the teacher, mm-hmm. whether it's just for themselves or to others. And that transmission has been going on as long as humans have been around, and to be a part of that is is really quite marvelous. Mm-hmm. And so at first I, I would feel quite guilty <laughs> that I was straying off the path too far, and I'd come back and come back. And then eventually I was like putting on a pair of shoes that I had outgrown. Yeah. It didn't quite fit anymore. Mm. And then I felt really thankful for what my teacher had offered me. And, but it was time for me to take it on. Well, I mean, that's the best, right? When you're feeling the, the benefits and, and what are the, what, what for you, what are the benefits? What do you get from doing it? Well, my, my schedule is pretty demanding. Mm-hmm. So for me, the, the benefits have been First of all, to maintain just reasonably good health, mm-hmm. to, to not be able to, um, or to be able to work a pretty busy life and not get sick too often. Yeah, you're, I, I don't think I've ever known you to be sick, quite honestly. Yeah, I mean, when I do time. get sick, I, the good thing is I have a lot of Chinese medicine resources, <laughs> yeah. so I, and I definitely use them all yeah. when I do get sick. 
but I tend to recover in a reasonable amount of time. Uh-huh. And um, I found that there's a certain feeling of freedom with that, mm-hmm. that I don't have to be afraid of a lot of things that are floating around in the air. Mm-hmm. You know, I, like yourself, Greg, we work with patients on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And if I worried too much about getting everything they had, I, I wouldn't be able to practice very effectively. Yeah. So I, I need my health to be pretty good. Uh, another thing it has done is it really has sensitized me a lot to my own limitations. Mm-hmm. Of course, when I was younger, I had more, a lot more energy, and so I could do a lot more, and the consequences weren't as big. But mm-hmm. now that I'm getting older, mm-hmm. to do something foolish would have a bigger consequence. Sure. And it would affect my ability to work and maintain my life. Mm-hmm. And so in many ways, it has made me more cautious and aware of the potential risk of a lot of activities that maybe I would have done 20 years ago, but not today. Mm, okay. And uh, and then the other thing is my mind. I I haven't um, I haven't thought about it in a long time. But I remember when I first started doing these practices that I noticed that I was starting to think differently. Mm. The 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 normal cultural programming that I had started to kind of break up a little bit. And I started being more curious about things that were not uh, familiar to me. Maybe not just believing the the party line as much. Yeah, yeah. I I started being just more curious about other cultures and other points of view. Mm. and, And so that started to become more and more prevalent. And that was one of the reasons why I started traveling more, mm. is I wanted to be exposed to mm-hmm. different belief systems and different ways of living, and also to respect what they had to offer mm. and, and not insist that my way was the only way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that way I was able to fit in much better and had a much better time with these people than, say, if I would have insisted on, on a particular way that I knew of that mm-hmm. was only my way. Mm. Uh, so those things which would be kind of generalized are, are what I found the most that have changed in me since I started practicing. Um, other things have have been uh, just noticing the aging process. Mm-hmm. You know, in the in the Neijing, there's, and I believe it's in the first chapter, there is a, a couple specific chapters on the aging process. And I the looked at them. Of men and women. Yeah, yeah, the the seven and eight year cycles, and also the the ten year cycles mm-hmm. of, and usually around at forty the, in the Neijing it says at forty our our chi and yin is cut in half, mm-hmm. and then at fifty the liver chi starts to decline, mm-hmm. and then the aging process starts to become relevant, mm-hmm. and so I I've noticed that in my own aging process and have kind of come to accept it a little bit begrudgingly, but mm-hmm. accept it nonetheless yeah. as far as this is probably something that's going to happen. I need to get used to it. I need to adapt uh-huh. to these changes and not insist on remaining 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And so it has helped me a lot with the aging process. Interesting. That's an interesting um, inner awareness, certainly. And I, and I see this a lot because I do teach a lot of older adults, and I see their aging process in front of me, and, and it makes me very... Um, lucid about the reality of what is coming down the road for me and I, I just want to be sure I can adapt to it. What have you noticed in the in the um, elderly patients or uh, students as as they are in your classes? Yes. Have you had some long-time students? Yes actually um, some so um, 
I, since I work for the continuing education program, our semesters are 16 week, weeks long. Mm-hmm. And I have many repeats now. Mm. And they, I, what I've noticed is, first of all, the exercises themselves are not so demanding or difficult that they cannot adapt to them and participate. Mm-hmm. And they can be adapted if, if somebody has somewhat of a, a disability a minor disability, and they could still do the exercises. Maybe in a chair or something. Yeah, in a chair, uh-huh. or just sit down and relax for a little while and take a break. So with those kinds of things, they feel free to do what they need to, to, to maintain their needs while they're going through the class. Mm-hmm. Uh, many have reported that they feel more flexibility, mm-hmm. uh, uh, leg strength. Mm-hmm. They can stand longer and longer as time goes by. Yeah, that's huge right? Yes. for them. Their mental focus has been been much more finely tuned. Mm-hmm. Um, they can stay f- focused for longer periods of time, mm-hmm. especially as they keep coming. They can do more and more demanding things for Gym- longer periods of time. So they've said, "My my mind is clearer." Yeah, they, you know, it's like Memory, I can, I can maybe. pay attention to you much easier. Oh, that's good. Yeah, um, one of the most important things, though. And this may be more specific to older adults because of their situation. Maybe a, a spouse has died, mm-hmm. or um, you know their health has not been really good, or their children have moved away, and they end up living by themselves or in a in a like a retirement community. They start to socialize and make friends. Oh, that's great. Which is really and and what happens is that I notice that. Just the liveliness of the class mm-hmm. goes up. Mm-hmm. The energetic level goes up as people interact more and they participate more. Mm-hmm. And it's really fun. I, you know, I, Maybe when I was younger, I was a little anxious or fearful about getting older. Yeah. But when I see these people, it's, there's nothing to be afraid of. It's yeah. just part of life. And, and a lot of them really are having a good time at this point in their life. Yeah. Um, I have a 93-year-old woman. Oh, that's great. Um, of course, she does have some memory issues, which goes with the territory. But, sure. you know, every time we have the class, she comes in, and she's like one of the class favorites. And she just says, you know, she can't remember my name, but she goes, God bless you, my son. <laughs> oh, that's great. You know, and, and she's just a sweetheart. And, you know, those kinds of things really lift my spirits oh, and, yeah. and make it worthwhile. Yeah. You know? I love working with um, elderly populations. They're some of my favorite patients. Yeah. Yeah. There's some great, uh, did you, um, are you familiar with uh, the research out of the Institute of Integral Qigong and Tai Chi for Dr. Yanka, that work? I've they, looked at some of it, yes. Yeah, they did a huge meta-analysis of, of um, I forget exactly how many uh, studies they included, but multiple, multiple health benefits uh, for, you know, just across the board for all kinds of conditions. Yeah. Including, you know, some of the things we've been talking about here, memory and balance and general well-being, um, cardiovascular issues, lots of, lots of really profound uh, research on that. Yeah, I, have a, I actually have a couple of things that from the research article I was reading from uh, Dr. Yonke, bone loss mm-hmm. for postmenopausal women, um, obviously uh, balance, improved balance. This was something that I was involved with for many uh, years with the older adult population, uh, quality of life. Uh, self-efficacy, which is feeling confident or the ability to manage pain, handle stress, or new experiences. People reported uh, improved self-efficacy. 
also anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. improving those kinds of conditions. So it's, it's very encouraging to see, first of all, all this research coming out now mm-hmm. to, to give people a, a more clear idea of what these practices can promote. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's really an encouraging thing. What would you um, what would you think would be a benefit to a, well, I, I know you know the benefits personally, but what do you think would be a benefit to uh, like an organization for implementing a Qigong program or, you know, a lot of these um, corporations now, they have wellness programs, right? Yes. And they're doing, they're doing various three things, including like biometric screenings and, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, smoking cessation challenges and actually, you know, paying more for their insurance, contri- more of an employer-based contribution mm-hmm. if you quit smoking. So a lot of these companies are recognizing wellness, quote-unquote, and they have the HR departments have wellness advocates or some other name they call them, and 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 yet I'm not really seeing corporations or, or big or medium-sized companies employing uh, someone to teach Qigong or Tai Chi or you know, they have gyms available on site or they have, you know, an exercise regimen. But what would you think about, you know, doing sort of a wellness program that would include, you know, some of the things with Qigong? Yes. Or Tai Chi in the morning or in the afternoon or something. Well, let me give you about a background about something that has been successful that I participated in. I I was uh, involved with um, Dr. Fuzang Li, who is a head researcher at the Oregon Research Institute, who did many of the studies that we looked at involving fall prevention for older adults. Mm-hmm. And I, he had created a Tai Chi form, it's called the Yang Style 8 short form, mm-hmm. for older adults. And many of these research articles about these various forms have taken those, what have been long, complicated, like in Taiji, long complicated forms, and reduce them down to make them more simpler and approachable for lay people or people who are of compromised health mm-hmm. um, or varying, varying types of population, and made them accessible. And so we did this project. Uh, it, was, it was supported by the California Department of Public Health, and I was considered like this master trainer, so I would go to various municipalities uh, around California and teach um, people that lived in a community that may have had a Tai Chi background or may not have had a Tai Chi background but had some exposure to older adults, taught them the aid form, and then they would be supported by their the organization to disseminate it through um, community classes that were offered for free. Mm. And so this was very successful, especially in certain places like I found in Ventura and Oxnard. Um, they had a very strong um, presence there, and they, we've trained quite a few older adults to teach other older adults this Tai Chi program. Mm-hmm. And so this is something that can be very beneficial if the organization is very committed to promoting community wellness. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't work as well when it's just individually based and mm-hmm. it's for just individuals to kind of do what they want to do mm-hmm. it really needs to be organized as a practice to bring people together to support each other in the practice mm-hmm. and then they can go and do their their normal work that they do um, to try to approach it from a, a viewpoint of we're going to have this available just come as individuals mm-hmm. 
it doesn't get a lot of traction because individuals are busy. Right. And, and unless uh, an organization makes it approachable as far as providing a time and a space to do it, mm-hmm. it, it I think it's more difficult to get something to be accomplished. Mm-hmm. Do you think it would benefit an organization, though, if they had a group-based, you know, like floor three, it's Qigong time to come down and, and do like the, you know, whatever, the, the billing department go go do take your 15 minutes and do do the, yes. the the short eight i think i think it would be really helpful to get people out of their working mode mm-hmm. and let them be in a community mode mm-hmm. because a lot of times in work modes we just know each other as work partners or, yeah. or work um, people yeah. and then we go home work wives work husbands yeah either, either but to, to give um a group of people that work together a chance to interact Still in the context of a, a socialized, organized program mm-hmm. um, could go a long way because other than there's after work, we can go have drinks. Mm-hmm. There's not always places for people to unwind mm-hmm. and feel comfortable and at ease again and mm-hmm. not under the pressure of providing their work. Yeah. Workplaces can be so stressful. Yes. Right? Yes. There's so much emphasis. So much pressure. There's so much emphasis on productivity. Mm-hmm. You know, people are working whatever, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week is the norm, right? Right. Yeah. And, and, that, and as you know, you know, in the medical profession alone, the, the burnout is mm-hmm. very high. Yeah. So uh, Americans in general work very hard mm-hmm. and, and don't have a lot of time off. And mm-hmm. so to, to give employees a place where they can unwind without, you know, having to feel like um, they need to drink or, you know, go binge on television or something, but actually move together as a unit, Mm -hmm. breathe together as a unit. Um, I think it could do a lot for the the workplace environment. Yeah, and society as a whole, right? Yeah, yeah. They're relaxing together, they're reconnecting, like you were saying before, unifying. So when you're practicing... Qigong or Tai Chi, is there a minimum amount of time that you feel uh, you need to do it to, we talked about not just once, of course, and, Mm -hmm. you know, ideally you do it every day or at least several days a week, but when you're doing the practice, is there a minimum amount of time that you feel uh, produces uh, some element of of benefit? Mm -hmm. I would say if you can go at least... 20 minutes to a half an hour. Okay. Yeah. Um, 15 minutes is just enough to kind of put you in the mood, but not enough to satisfy your taste. Right. And so if you get in there and start feeling, just starting to feel the effects, and then you say, oh, I got to go, eh, it's not going to be very helpful. Yeah. So that's why, you know, you want to give yourself the time and the space to indulge a little bit. It would be like, you know, think about your one of your favorite meals Mm -hmm. and that you want to spend time every taste and every texture and and all the smells and colors and and just take it in and not feel rushed Mm -hmm. and if you can do that you will get so much more out of it Mm -hmm. than if you kind of do it as well i have 15 minutes i think i'm going to do this 15 minutes of breathing really quick yeah really quick (laughs) and 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 then get up and go go do something else stressful it's not really going to help you that that significantly okay and what about um, this idea of 
videos and learning off of video as, as compared to, you know, because some people may not have access to right. to a, a person to mm-hmm. teach them. So do you think you could benefit from a, a video? I think to some degree the, the video presence can have some level of effect. Just do it because of the nature of the exercises themselves, it can put you in that kind of focused, redundant movement pattern. Mm-hmm. But there's a limit to that because you're only going to produce what you currently already know. Right. You're not going to take in any new information. You're not going to take in any new uh, energetic input because there's not another person there to influence you. Mm -hmm. So what you'll get is kind of like a two-dimensional way of practicing. Mm -hmm. And so it's better to, if you see something that you like on a video, you can practice a little bit to get your appetite going like an aperitif Mm -hmm. but really to have the main meal you want to go somewhere where these where people are practicing and Mm -hmm. there's a a teacher that you feel comfortable with and want to commit to at least for a little while Mm -hmm. until you start to really feel what it is all this stuff is about yeah and be able to ask questions and confirm and I, I know I've been in classes, I'm sure you can relate to this too, where you're looking at the teacher doing the same thing. You think you're doing the same pattern with the arms or the legs or the head or whatever. And they'll in, inevitably they'll come over and adjust your posture. And you're like, whoa, I was, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I was that far off. Right, yeah. yeah. Because we, I was leaning or tipping. Or, right, as much as we are familiar with ourselves, we, don't, we need another person to really give a good critical eye. Yeah. If not, we will just continue with what we are familiar with. And, yeah. And Habit. Yeah, we'll just go into our habits. Mm-hmm. Well, Robert, uh, we're about coming to a close of our time here, and I really want to thank you for uh, just being a wealth of information, You know, the, just your warmth and uh, wonderful nature. Uh, the, all the Qigong and Tai Chi practice comes through loud and clear for me. You know, your connection to uh, to everything comes comes loud and clear, and, and your heartfelt uh, center comes through, too, and I really appreciate you. Um, so if people want to get in touch with you and learn from you, um, how do they do that? Um, so I'm, I'm teaching classes currently with the San Diego Continuing Education, and they are part of San Diego Community College District. So if you go to the... Uh, sdccd.edu website and look under continuing ed and under continuing ed the emeritus program which is the older adult program you can find a whole listing of classes that are for free oh nice Uh, and they're for 55 and older but if you're younger than 55 you can still come because the only requirement is that the there's over 50 percent older adults in the class, which with these programs, that's never an issue. So okay. younger people are always welcome to come. Nice. And, um, and then uh, these, are, these classes are taught at various locations in town. So just go to the website and look at the catalog. And then you can always contact me through our website at my clinic, which is www.nations-acupuncture.com. And that's nations, N-A-T-I-O-N-S hyphen acupuncture.com. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Greg. It's been a pleasure, and it's been great talking to you today. Thanks.